So I want to welcome you to another edition of Stranger Things. We have been at this idea for about seven weeks, and this is week number eight. And next week, we're going to wrap it up. But I, as I finished last week's sermon, um, Elder Donald says to me, Pastor, I want to talk to you about something strange. I said, oh, okay, what's that? So he says, look, I was reading the Bible and I came across a passage that sounded strange to me because it seems to suggest that in heaven there is ranking, there is positioning. But I've always understood that in heaven, there's no rank or positioning. All of us are the same in the eyes and the sight of God. Why are there ranks and positioning in this particular text? So pastor, could you explain to me what's going on? So I paused and I thought, I said, well, uh, Elder Donald, to be honest with you, I also don't know what's going on. That seems strange to me, too, because I believe, like you, that in heaven there's no ranking or positioning, that all of us are on the same level, and there's nobody who is better or greater than the other. So I told him, look, um, let me deal with this text in next week's sermon. So here we are. I'm going to deal with the text that Elder Donald asked me to deal with. Now, perhaps you also have a strange text that you have found crazy to understand. I want you to know that I want to give you the same opportunity. And if you send a text to me either today, latest by tomorrow, I'll deal with it and handle it in next week's sermon as our finale. But it must be from the Old Testament, right? So two requirements, give it in by Sunday and it must be from the Old Testament. So let's look at the passage that Elder Donald found to be strange. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 18. And these are the words of Jesus when he preaches the greatest sermon known to man. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is still so famous today. In this sermon you find the Beatitudes. In this sermon you find the story of the wise man and the foolish man building on the rock and on the sand. In this story, you find ideas like, do not worry. Uh, in this sermon, you find ideas like, do not judge. So it's a great sermon. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm picking up these words from this sermon, and we're going to consider them today. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, whoever, therefore, whoever, whoever, don't matter who, whoever, whoever relaxes, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, check this now, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, does the least of these commandments, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I hope you caught it. Two ranks or positions, the least or the greatest. And what determines the least or the greatest, according to the words of Jesus, is how a person treats the least. So the question is, how do you treat the least in your life? The least person, the least job, the least chore. How do you treat the least in your life? That matters. That's what Jesus is stressing at here, that 
how do you treat the least? But does treating the least actually affect your positioning and your ranking in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, let's unpack this for a second under the topic, the treatment of the least. Let us pray. Father, the least I can ask of you is to be with me. And I pray you send your spirit because I need it. In Jesus' name, amen. In the religious climate of Jesus, people checked the temperature on commandments by deciding degrees of the commandments. In fact, the temperature was so hot that people wanted to find out which commandment was the greatest? Which commandment was good? In fact, a lawyer came to Jesus to figure out which commandment was the greatest. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, this expert says to Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Right there. They wanted to know what was the greatest. That implies that not everything was the same. So when Jesus says whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, he is speaking from this particular context. He's, he's looking at a, a, a religious institution. He's looking at a spiritual climate that is deciding which commandments are presidential. Uh, which commandments are cabinet members? Which commandment are simply staff members? And Jesus recognizes this fact. And in his mind, everything may be positioned in a certain way. The commandments of God may have a particular ranking, but everything needs to be considered properly. Because they were quick to judge something as least or great based upon their own evaluation based upon what some teacher said, how some teacher taught. And so Jesus says, look, whoever, it don't matter who, it don't matter where they come from, it don't matter their position, it don't matter their degrees at the end of their name, whoever relaxes, whoever makes something unstrict that is already strict, whoever unconstricts, what is constricted, whoever does that will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Why, why is God putting so much emphasis on what is least? Uh, why is God putting so much emphasis on something that is seemingly, seemingly insignificant? Uh, allow me to draw you to Elon Musk for a second. See, Elon Musk is a great man. But his tweets have a way of creating an earthquake. They have a way of creating a ripple effect in the world of cryptocurrency. A few weeks ago, he tweeted and the price of Bitcoin dropped. That's a man who has influence. That's a man who has power. But here's a kicker. You see, for Elon Musk... Cryptocurrency is the least of his financial muscle. In other words, he does not depend on cryptocurrency to eat. 
It's not his livelihood. It's a part of his financial exploits. And he tweets about it simply to show that he has power, simply to show that he can. But allow me to tell you that the least of what God says is not simply for him to show that he has power or for him to let us know that he can do whatever he wants. It's not for him to or flex his muscle, but it's for him to help us and to benefit us. Allow me to let you know today that the least of what God says is profitable for correction. It can correct you. It can help you become the person you need to be. If you're struggling with a temper, if you get a hold of the least of what God says, it's going to benefit you. If you need reproof and correction and understanding of the word of God, you need to look at what God says. And even the least of what God says can be of a benefit to you. But you know how we treat the least of what God says? Some of it, we bypass it. Uh, we think that some parts of scripture are not as inspired as, uh, as others. Let's look at genealogies for a second. You know how we treat genealogies? We treat genealogies the same way as we treat a policeman on Jalan Tamrin. We want to avoid it. Who wants to read, he begat this one, he begat that one, and that one, and that one, and so forth, and so on. So parents, let me ask you, when was the last time you considered the genealogies and you studied them? When was the last time you told your daughter or your son, hey, son or daughter, before I take you to sleep, let's read genealogies for a bedtime story. Parents, when was the last time you called uh, family worship and you said, we are going to study genealogies for the rest of the month? Bible teachers, when was the last time you looked at genealogies? Pastor Henry, when was the last time you preached about genealogies? The truth of the matter is, what, what we do with God's word sometimes is that we consider some parts at least and some other parts great. But Jesus says, wait a minute, I want to check you. You should not ever, 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 ever consider anything that God says as least. Because, as you know, not every word of a president have a similar or equal value. But they're still words of the president. And so in the same way, what God says is still important, even though it may seem as if it is not important to you and I. So allow me to help somebody's spiritual diet for a second. The least of what God says is a diamond if you invested the hours digging for it. So what I want to do right now is to help us to dig a little bit around the word least in the New Testament. So the first mining field we're going to go to is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 9. In this passage, Paul is considered the least of the apostles. But yet, watch this. The least of the apostles, Paul, is considered the greatest among the apostles. Why? Because of the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul gave us a third of them. Paul was able to sit and have conversations with emperors. Paul was able to break ground and be able to bring the gospel to Gentiles. Let's go to the second mining field as we're digging for a diamond in the word called least. It's in Matthew chapter 2 verse number 6. Bethlehem is considered the least town. <laughs> 
But yet this least town gives us the greatest man to ever breathe the air of earth called Jesus. Uh, let's leave mining field number two and let's jump over to mining field number three. In that passage in Matthew 25 verse number 40, we are presented with the least brethren. These are brethren who don't have money and they are poor. These are brethren who are locked up in prison. But yet, the way these least brethren are treated is the same way that Jesus is treated. So allow me to bring up the diamond from our mining that we did on the word least. You see, what is least will impact what is great. And so Jesus is saying, do not underestimate what is least. Never ever apply a spiritual laxative to the least of what God says, because it may just be the diamond in the rough that you need to help you. And right here, Jesus attacks those who utilize a spiritual laxative to relax what God thinks should never be relaxed. There are some things God thinks should never be relaxed. And you and I do not have a right to relax them. But could it be that we have Christians in 2021 who are utilizing a spiritual laxative? They are so concerned about a comfortable faith. They are so concerned about living their faith to the way that they like it. Therefore, when they are confronted with the word of God, they find a way to make themselves comfortable. And guess what they do? They relax it. But Jesus says, if you apply a spiritual laxative, it's an indication that you're spiritually constipated. You are spiritually unhealthy. Because when you relax what God commands, you're basically saying, Lord, your will is not as important as my will. And what we need to understand is that the least of what God communicates, the least of what God says is a part of his will. And it matters for a Christian to have a healthy relationship to the will of God. And Jesus is simply saying, you need to have a healthy relationship with the will of God if you would like to be great. Jesus is not addressing ranking in heaven, but Jesus is addressing how we view the will of God and what kind of relationship we have with the will of God. Because the truth of the matter is some of us have a love-hate relationship with the will of God. We find ways to bend and to twist the will of God. When the word of God confronts us, perhaps right now I'm confronting you with the word of God. Right now, perhaps some of you are saying, what is this brother talking about? What does he mean? What does he say? And sometimes when we hear sermons, and when we impact it, instead of us being compliant, we become confrontational. Well, the pastor said, well, I don't agree with that. I don't think he's interpreting the word of God correctly. But I need you to know something today. The will of God that is communicated in the word, that is communicated in the sermon, that is communicated in other avenues is like Google Maps. Google Maps, what do they do? Google Maps allow us and help us to be aligned and to know what direction we should take. Oh, I'm coming. So when you are using Google Maps, they show you the way to go 
to the mall. It shows you the way to go to the next city. And if you follow them correctly, you're going to get there. And what I love about Google Maps is this. The Google Maps can re be rerouted when you have made a wrong turn. So you see, when you're following God and His will, it's like using Google Maps. It's going to help you get from destination A to destination B. It may not always be the thought you had in your mind. It may not always be the path that you think you should travel. Perhaps you planned and you thought that, well, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to get married. Well, when you're following the will of God, He can map it out in a totally different way. You may go to school. You may get the degree, but then you might have to work first before you get married. And you may get married, plan to have kids in your first year, but your kids may come mm, uh, two years down the line. Yeah, you may say, well, I'm going to go to the next country. Or I'm going to apply to this job. But what God is able to do when we're following His will is that His will allows us to get to the destination that we're supposed to get at. And when we are looking back on what God has been doing and God has been guiding us. We're able to say, wow, God, you are good. You are awesome. And I need somebody here to know that, uh, that if you haven't been following the will of God because you have somehow turned away from it and you have thought, well, what, what God says or what God thinks is not as important, I want you to know that the will of God can be rerouted. Uh, and you can be rerouted. God can get you back to the right place. But it begins in how you treat what is least. You see, when Jesus speaks about the least, he says, whoever relaxes any of these commandments of God will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. There are two kingdoms in this world. And you and I have to make a choice. Which kingdom we're going to be a part of. You see, you can be a, a part of the kingdom of earth or you can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is above. It is holy. And it is awesome. It came down with Jesus. But the kingdom of earth is right here. And you can reach it if you like to. You can reach it if you want to. But you and I must make a choice. And that's what Jesus is helping us to see today. What kingdom are you going to be a part of? Now you see, sometimes you cannot be great in two spheres. Uh, let me explain what I mean. If a, student, if a student wants to be great as a student, he wants to get straight A's. He needs to make a choice that if I want to be great in class, I need to be least at the parties. I need to be least on Facebook and IG. I need to be least in hanging out. I need to be least in watching movies because sometimes greatness requires you to get rid of some things. Greatness requires you to choose that I will be great in this area, but in order for me to be great in this area, I must forego greatness in other areas. The problem with many of us is that we are trying to be great in everything. But unfortunately, you cannot be great in everything. 
Because you always need to prioritize where you're going to be great in. But what I love about God is this, that when you choose to be great with him, naturally you're going to be great in other places. Because Joseph chose to be great with God. He was also a great prime minister. Because Moses chose to be great with God. He was a great liberator of the Israelites from Egypt. Because David chose to be great with God. He was the greatest king Israel has ever known. Because Solomon chose to be great with God. He was the wisest man to ever walk this planet. Because Paul chose to be great with God. He gave us a third of the New Testament. Because Daniel chose to be great with God. He became the second in command in Babylon. When you have chosen to be great with God, naturally you're going to be great in other areas. But the first priority to be great in is to be great in the kingdom of God. And fortunately, we have people. And fortunately, sometimes we are so focused on the greatness in this world. We want the great grades. We want the great status. We want the great uh, uh, finance. We want great things. But sometimes in our pursuit of earthly greatness, we say no, no, no to the greatness that God is offering us. You will have to choose today where you are going to be great in. And it reminds me of a story of a couple. This was a young couple. They were high school sweethearts. They ate lunch together. They spent time together. Uh, they shared their dreams. The girl wanted to be a singer. The boy wanted to be a professional athlete. Uh, one day, the girl, Jasmine, lost her mother. She died. And she called the boy, Ryan, to come to assist her, to be there for her. So Ryan naturally goes and tries to find Jasmine. And as he finds Jasmine, she is drenched in tears and covered by a blanket of grief. He knows she needs him. He knows he needs to be there for her. But at the same time, Ryan's friends came and they called to Ryan. Ryan, bro, it's time for us to roll. Let's go to that party, man. It's happening tonight. Bro, come on, man. We have to go. Are you going to spend time with this girl? Like, come on, man. There'll, there'll be a lot more girls at the party. Why do you want to waste time with this one girl? Come on, man. So now Ryan must make a decision. Who is he going to be great for and to? Is he going to be great for and to Jasmine? Or is he going to be great for and to his boys? Who is he going to be great for? And Ryan chose to be great for his friends. And he left Jasmine drenched in tears and blanketed by grief, standing alone. And he went with his friends. Ryan didn't realize that he was in a different kingdom than his friends. You see, his friends were in the kingdom of singleness. But he was in the kingdom of a relationship. And greatness for him meant that he needed to prioritize Jasmine more than prioritizing his friends. Because his friends would always be there, but Jasmine would always be there. And in fact, that's what happened. Jasmine never spoke to Ryan again for at least 17 years. The issue is, who do you want to be great in? To whom do you want to look great for? And fortunately, some of us are interested in looking great to our friends.
great to our colleagues, great to our members. But what about greatness in the eyes of God? What about greatness in the eyes of those who matter? What about greatness in the eyes of people who are going to truly be there for you? Why not seek first to be great for them? And that is what Jesus is saying. Do you want to be great for the world or do you want to be great for the one who can give you the world? Do you want to be great in earth or do you want to be great for the one who made the earth? <laughs> do you want to be great in the eyes of people who can die? People who can lie on you? Or do you want to be great in the eyes of somebody who can never die? Or somebody who can never lie on you? In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Who do you want to be great in the eyes of? So the question is, will you be great in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of earth? Check this now. The day you gave your life to Jesus, the day you decided to be baptized, you became... A member of the kingdom of heaven. You see, John the Baptist is the one who introduces the concept of the kingdom of heaven through his preaching. Uh, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how John ushered in this new uh, kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Obviously, he's looking forward to Jesus, but he gave people opportunity. He said, you must confess your sins. You, you must repent. You must be baptized. And so these people, check this, they were in the kingdom while living on earth. <laughs> uh, they were in the kingdom while living on earth. And so when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about being a part of a heavenly organization while you live an earthly life. We're talking about subscribing to membership of Jesus via the vehicle I call the church. And I need you to know this this morning that the fact that you're a member of a church, and I'm glad for JCC members. Say amen for yourself. I love the fact that we have members in JCC who love the church, who love what we do, and praise the Lord for you. And I want you to know something today. As a member of this church, you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah, somebody. You belong to it. You are part of it. Let nobody tell you any different. And on the days when you feel low, when you feel like things are not making sense, when you feel like you are nothing, when you feel sad for no reason, I want you to know that you are a member of the kingdom of heaven and that makes all the difference. But watch this. Membership in a church provides a gateway to heaven, but doesn't necessarily guarantee heaven I, I hope you're seeing what i'm saying membership in a church is a gateway a gateway is a pathway it it provides a direction but is not a guarantee of heaven but what guarantees heaven is a healthy relationship to the will of god and that's what jesus is saying in the passage those who relax any of these commandments, 
they are simply manifesting that they don't have a healthy relationship to the will of God. They are a part of the kingdom. They belong to the kingdom, but they are not following the path. Therefore, they are least. They are on the back of the line. But those who are able not only to follow, but to teach others the least of what I say, they are at the front of the line. Therefore, they are now greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But whether they are least, watch now, whether they are least or they are great, all of them are in the kingdom of of heaven. Jesus is not saying that they are out of heaven, but he's simply saying, if I'm to give them a grade right now, some are greater and some are least because of the relationship that they have to my will that is reflected in what I command, even if what I command is least. The scribes and the Pharisees were greats. In fact, they would be considered the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they did the most praying. They did the most teaching. They did the most fasting. They did the most leading. They did the most uh, spiritual religious activities. Uh, but notice what Jesus says about them. He says, for I tell you, I tell you. Now, when Jesus speaks like that, yo, you need to listen. Pay attention because uh, this is like in the Old Testament, he says, thus saith the Lord. This is like him committing and commanding something true. And powerful. So you need to pay attention to what I'm telling you right here. And I'm speaking the words of Jesus, not my own. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, now, now watch that, unless your righteousness exceeds, unless it is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice I said that we are all a part of the kingdom of heaven. But there is coming a time when the kingdom of heaven will be manifested where now all of us have to enter. But Jesus is saying the disciples, I mean the Pharisees and the scribes, they looked and seemed as if they were in heaven. They did religious activities. They did service and ministry. They laid out in worship. They gave money. But in doing any of that, it did not make them any closer to heaven. In fact, they were far from heaven. Because God does not value your activity and your business and your spirituality if you do not have a healthy relationship with his will. If you are constantly saying, God, I don't know if I should keep this. I don't know if I should do this. If you're constantly questioning the word of God, is it right to drink or not? Or not? And you've been doing that for 10 years. At some point, some point you got to make a decision. <laughs> At some point you got to make a decision that, wait, I'm questioning this. Is God the problem or am I the problem? Uh, some of us are asking, is there something wrong with sex before marriage? And you're asking this and asking this and asking this. At some point you got to make up your mind. Is it going to be the will of God or your own will? And some of us trivialize what needs to be put on the pedestal. And he's saying that people who behave and think like that, they are least in the kingdom of heaven. They're not out of it because they still have membership. They, 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 but if it comes time for me to allow them to get in, they cannot get in because they don't have a healthy relationship with my will. Because it's not what they think that matters. It's what God thinks that matters.
You feel me? It's what God thinks that matters. And at some point, you and I have to make a decision. What is going to matter more? What I want, what others want, or what God wants for my life. Unfortunately, some of us are hell-bent on our own ways. We have been counseled. We have been advised. We have been told, don't do this. Uh, don't go there. Uh, that job doesn't fit you. That man or that girl is not good for you. Those habits that you're doing uh, day in and day out are not good for you. Uh, but, you know, we prioritize and we prize and we are proud of our freedom and our ability to do what we want to do. And we call that freedom. But what we don't realize is that we are demonstrating the fact that we don't, we don't, we don't value what God has to say. Allow me to tell you something that you need to understand. The way you behave with people around you could be a demonstration of how healthy you are in relation to the will of God. Uh, let me make that clear for you. You see, a child who does not obey his parents is simply demonstrating that he doesn't want to obey God. Because God says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So when a parent, a child rebels, a child does not want to do what a parent says, they're basically saying, you know what, God, I don't really care what you want to say over my life. If a wife doesn't want to or, or submit to her husband, she's basically saying, I don't want to submit to God. A husband who also doesn't love his wife is basically saying, I don't want to submit to God. An employee who doesn't want to submit to the boss is saying, I don't want to submit to God. A boss who thinks and, and, and doesn't treat employees well is not submitting to God. A church member who doesn't want to listen to the pastor is not submitting to God. A pastor who doesn't want to serve his church members is not submitting to God. Do you hear what I'm telling? you today that it matters how you behave and treat others around you because it's a demonstration of how healthy you are in relation to the will of God and those who don't have a relation a, a proper healthy relationship with the will of God they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven their righteousness is not good enough and in order for them to be at the place where they can be good enough Jesus says do not relax the least of what I commanded or what I command. Jesus embodied the kingdom of heaven because he made a choice for the kingdom of heaven. He's baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 verses 5 and 15 to 17. But it's the temptation of Jesus that I want to focus my attention in on for a second you see right there when he goes into the wilderness the devil knocks on his door he tempts him the first time jesus says no he tempts him the second time jesus says no it's the third temptation that we need to put our eyes on for us to understand uh, what jesus is teaching us this is uh, beautiful and powerful uh, the devil offers him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. But he asked Jesus for a least requirement. He asked Jesus for something least. Notice what he says. 
all these kingdoms I will give you if you fall down and worship me. You got that? You heard that? The devil says, all you have to do, you got to let go of loyalty to God. It's the least I'm asking. But Jesus knew, if I let go of this loyalty to God, the least of what the devil is asking is actually the greatest gift I can give to God. What is a greater gift to give to God than to be loyal to him and to be committed and connected to him? So Jesus says no. And he tells Satan, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. He says, Satan, I cannot. I cannot give up the least because the least of what I can give up is the greatest in the eyes of God. Let me tell you something. The least that you can give up or the least you think you're giving up is the greatest gift that you can give to God because the least often is an indicator of how dedicated you are. The least is often, is often an indicator of how important God is to you. And so when you give up the least, when you do not have a healthy relationship with God's will, even though it's reflected in the least, what you're saying is, God, you're not that important. God, I don't value you that much. And so Jesus, who embodied the kingdom, who also wants us to embody the kingdom, is teaching us today, hey, man. Those who are part of my kingdom, they remain loyal. And the way I test their loyalty is in the least. Because he who is faithful in the least is also faithful in much. He who is faithful in obedience is faithful if I make them a great man. Uh, you look at Joseph. He was put in part of his house, a least place. But he was faithful there. And God knew that I can elevate him to prime minister in Egypt. The least is often a test of loyalty. Where are you at? God is asking. What do I mean to you? How important am I to you? How great do you consider me in your life? Let me test you by the least. And the devil was trying to get Jesus to have an unhealthy relationship with God. To have a healthy relationship with the will of God. And Jesus says, you know what? Mm -mm. Hey, me and God, we're good. And there is nothing that I'm going to do to give up anything. To give up anything that makes me disloyal to God. Even if it's the least. You see, right now, the kingdom of God is underground. It's underground in the sense that Jesus has not yet come. So, it's not yet physically literally present but it is spiritually present and i want you to know that i am a representative of that kingdom because i'm a member of the church i've given my life over to jesus and you too are because you have given your life to jesus you are part of that kingdom hallelujah somebody but it is not yet coming but there is coming a day that all of us are going to be able to physically enter that kingdom right now we are a part of it but we have not yet fully entered and experienced it and what's going to determine our entry is our relationship to the least of what God commands it's about how well we treated the least of what God says in fact when King Jesus comes 
in Matthew chapter 25, he is going to call everybody to him. And one by one, he's going to scan them to check their leastness. The first thing that Jesus is going to declare in verse number 34 of chapter 25 of Matthew is, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come. <laughs> I can't wait for that, y'all. I cannot wait. I, I want God to, to make that call. Come, you that are 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 to inherit the kingdom. We're going to inherit the kingdom, y'all. That's a beautiful thing. But now I want you to notice. Those who inherit the kingdom will have to meet the leastness uh, uh, requirement. And Jesus will say it. As you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So anyone who is going to enter into the kingdom will have had a proper relationship with the least. They would have treated the least well. The least brothers and sisters, those who are in a least position compared to them, they would have treated them well. Because somebody who has a healthy relationship with the least understands that everything that is related to the will of God, I will treat it well. So he says, those of you who have treated the least of my brothers, those of you who have treated the least of my commandments, those of you who have taken to heart the little, little details, I want you now to enter into my kingdom. So you cannot afford to have an unhealthy relationship with the least of what God commands because it is a part of his will. If you want to become or you want to enter the kingdom, you will have to become the least. Jesus said of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, verse number 28, uh, he says, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. See, John the Baptist stood head and shoulders above Moses, above Elijah, above Elisha, above Daniel, above Ezekiel, above Zechariah. Uh, John the Baptist is the goat, the greatest of all time. If we're talking about prophets and the reason for that, Jesus said it among those born of women. There's nobody greater than John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was great, but in all his greatness, he was not greater than the least that is born in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. John, among those born of women, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist, but he who is born in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, though he is least. <laughs> Can I tell you a beautiful truth right here? You see, John believed or lived in a different era. He lived in the era of promise. He lived in the era of looking forward to Jesus to come. And he preached about a coming king and a coming savior. But the one who is born in the kingdom of God is living in the era of a fulfillment. And because they're living in the era of fulfillment, they have embraced who Jesus is. And by embracing who Jesus is, they have been transformed from within. They are no longer an old person stuck in their old habits with their old forms of thinking, but they have become a new creation. 
They have been born again. And so what Jesus is saying, the person who has been born again and has experienced my grace is greater than John the Baptist because of, of what I have done in them. They are no longer their old them. They no longer talk like their old them. They no longer think like their old them. I want somebody here to know that it doesn't matter how least you may be considered. Your bank account may be least. Your family may be considered least. Your position in the family may be considered least. You might be the younger brother. You may have the least position in the organization. You may have the least height. People may be taller than you. But the game changer is that when you have embraced Jesus, when you have accepted him into your life, you become greater than the greatest people that have ever walked the earth. Can you think about that for a second? That the fact that you believe in Jesus, you are greater than Jokowi Widodo. You are greater than Barack Obama. You are greater than Martin Luther King Jr. You are greater than Mahatma Gandhi. You are greater than K-pop. You are greater than Bruce Willis. You are, you are greater than the greatest poets. You are greater than the greatest writers. You are greater than the greatest preachers. You are greater than the greatest financial managers. Because your greatness does not lie in you. But your greatness lies in the fact that you have accepted Jesus Christ. So if you want to be great, you got to become least. And the way you do that is when you embrace Jesus Christ into your life. See, somebody here today needs to become great by becoming least, by accepting Jesus Christ. He allows you to be born again. He changes you to be something special, uh, to be something unique. And he changes your mindset. He changes the way you think. You no longer look at great things as great things. In fact, you change. What is great becomes least. Uh, for some of you, what was great before was going to a party, spending all night with friends and having a good time. But now what is great is no longer great in your life. That is least now. You consider time at home, sleeping in your bed as the great thing that you can do. Some of you in the past, you thought mm, that it was about getting a good position. It's about getting a good promotion. But now you notice that that's not what's great. You now think what is great is an honest wage, spending time with the family, and building people uh, in your life. You now look at life that way. Some of you were all about influence, about be growing and becoming something amazing. But now you tell yourself, you know what? I consider what is least better. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Allow me to tell you, borrowing the words of Leon Morris, the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest man. Today, you can be great. All you need is to embrace Jesus in order to become great. Allow me to tell you that the world is passing away. And all that is in it is passing away. The world is dying. It's not getting better. It is dying. 
But when you accept Jesus, you accept something that will never die, that will, will be great forever and ever. You see, Jesus was considered least, y'all. Uh, Jesus was uh, not considered beautiful. He had no form or comeliness that we should uh, desire him. He was rejected and despised by men. But yet, as a man of sorrows, through his stripes, we are healed. Uh, through his wounds, we are helped. Through his pain, we are profited. I want you to know that when you accept the least, Jesus, you become great. And today you can make that choice that I will be great as well. And I'll be great because I will accept the least called Jesus. Now, when you've accepted the least called Jesus, guess what? You will be able to treat the least well. The least commandments, the least believers, the least service, the least job. You'll be able to treat it well because you know where your greatness lies. Uh, today, I want to treat the least well. How about you? Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Father, teach us to treat the least well. And help us to become the least by accepting Jesus. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Because we cannot do that if you are not helping us. I pray for a brother and a sister who needs to accept Jesus. Help them, Lord, to evaluate and to value what Jesus can do. Strengthen them and guide them. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is my hope. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is my prayer. And I humbly ask all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me again next week for the final session of Stranger Things. Once again, you can send in a strange text. It must be from the Old Testament. It must be given by tomorrow. And I'll be more than happy to deal with it and treat it. May God bless you and take care. I love you. Amen.